0: This is the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. Kids are back to school today, except in Halton. They have a, uh, a PD day, a PA day, whatever you want to call them. Uh, so they will start tomorrow. Uh, and all this year, uh, all major disputes with employee union groups have been settled. However, there is still some bargaining on the local level that is still going on. And the sad part is, is this is taken forever. And then by next summer, I think the whole process has to start again. So we're really lucky if we get a full school year without any sort of uh, obstructions or any sort of deviations from what uh, y- you know the curriculum is. To talk more about all this, Dr. Charles Pascal is with us, former deputy, former deputy minister of education, currently professor at Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto, and is with us and is with us now. Good afternoon, doctor. How are you today? I'm fine, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. So it's uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Uh, there's a lot of parents, including the one you're talking to right now, who've been very frustrated over the last several years over what has been happening with our kids and and how they're being used as pawns in negotiation processes and you know I remember even back to my high school days uh, being involved in teacher strikes and there seems to be one pretty much every decade or so uh, since then. Uh, Can you explain to us why we are still in the process of uh, negotiations at this point?
1: Well a couple years ago the uh, the the government decided to implement a uh what I guess I would describe as a two-tiered model uh, where some things are negotiated uh, provincially and other things are uh, negotiated locally. And, uh, you know, without commenting on, uh, you know, whether that's a good or bad thing, I think they're still in the throes of uh, trying to smooth out the edges in terms of, you know, how this works. So, yeah, it can be very uh, distracting. I mean, the most uh, important thing is for uh, our great teachers and students uh, to get back to uh, Doing what they do together through uh, a collaboration for success, but it, you know, these things can be a little bit of a, a distraction. Of course, parents, including you, Scott, uh, you know, wonders about uh, what will happen down the line. But uh, I'm optimistic that uh, some of these uh, little things that uh, are still causing um, uh, people not to uh, to get to yes at the table will be resolved in time.
0: The Ontario government, as you mentioned, uh, tried to correct this, streamline whatever process or whatever word you want to use in order to uh, to move this along. Has it become more complicated? Is this a good idea? Should we go back to the old way of doing this?
1: Well, you know, I'm not sure the old way was uh, was perfect. It uh, had some of the, uh, the downsides that you referred to. But um, as I say, you know, this is still, this is only uh, a couple of years in the making and uh, you know, hopefully it'll work out well. I mean, it's just uh, what's really critical is that uh, parents uh, try to inform themselves about what the local issues might be, and they, you know, they can vary from board to board, and uh, and, and hopefully uh, the teachers will get on with it in spite of what's taking place between their union representatives and uh, and the school boards. I mean, I again, I I'm I'm an optimist, I really believe that uh, the teachers will get on with things and. But you know, as you get closer to uh, to next year, as you uh, suggest, um, we'll see if uh, if this process is has uh, come to a, a little more maturity, uh, a greater level of maturity. So we don't have to keep worrying about these things.
0: Hmm. Uh, maturity is an interesting word to use.
1: Um, uh, it, it is because uh, at times uh, it looks like the uh, the adults are uh, are throwing sand in the sandbox, and uh, <laughs> we want we want to provide the best model. Uh, for for kids, in terms of how we adults uh, behave around them.
0: So, is this a, a, a good template to start from? I mean, was this a good first move to uh, to to enter into this uh, template that we have now? Is this a good starting point?
1: I, I think it deserves a, a, another a couple of years before anybody can answer whether what the government did was was a good way to go. I think the most important thing is that. Uh, that local boards uh, uh, learn to, uh, you know, develop a little more understanding of of how to do these kinds of things and that the the government centrally, uh, uh, you know, learns how to adapt to this new process as well. Um, I think, you know, I think parents, uh, and the reason I talk about parents, Scott, is I think we're in the best position to, uh, to, we don't want to take sides one way or another, but we do want to inform ourselves. And what's really critical is, uh, if if the union says this is all about quality uh, for the kids uh, we need to go a little bit deeper than that um, its it's one thing you know i 'm not uh, I'm a kind of a union guy I respect their right uh, to do what they do but um, when those who represent the union say this is about quality we as parents need to ask can you give us a little more information about what you mean uh, because oftentimes it's 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 not just about uh, quality it's about uh, something else, and so you know whether it's sick days, the old sick day carryover policy, which was uh, you know highly uh, controversial and well past its uh, its due date in terms of a good policy. It's really important that parents are well informed, that they keep asking questions, uh, and then put pressure uh, regarding the nature of of uh, what they think about what the real issues are. Because uh, you know, I think you know parents can have adult conversations with the trustees that they elect to their school boards.
0: You bring up a very uh, valid point, Charles, but boy, you know, anytime I'm trying to find out informa- any information, it just becomes more complicated, more complex, uh, and, and then you get accused of, well, you just don't know what you're talking about. But it seems as if... It seems as if they want it that way. They don't want people asking questions. They want everybody just to believe what they're saying, and we just move on with it. And then when you try to question it, they say, well, you don't know the, don't know the issues. Well, explain them to me. But again, yeah. they, they seem to be so multi layered, so complex, it's impossible for the average parent to even understand what they're talking about.
1: Well, uh, Scott, you make an excellent point. And, and here's, I guess, if you were to ask me what's the best advice... I have for parents uh, on this first day back at school, except for Halton. I don't know what's going on there regarding having a, a PA day uh, on the first day. But my, my best advice, my, my daughter and I uh, wrote a book uh, a couple years ago called uh, A Father-Daughter Conversation About Public Education, uh, Too Far From Perfect. And the, the point my daughter makes, and this is about her, her journey from age four to, to high school, when she finished the book uh, in grade 12. And and the best advice in that book is parents need to be very active advocates for their kids. And when schools tell you, whether it's a principal or a teacher or a union leader, you know, we'll take it from here. Uh, I know people who are very self-confident professionals like uh, Scott Thompson and and others I know who uh, basically are told, pat it on the head, we'll take it from here. Uh, We'll take care of what happens over here you take care of what happens at home and that's not good enough and it's not that complicated and when people are told this is too complicated for you to understand uh, i wouldn't trust that uh, i would demand very clear understanding of what the specific issues are and trustees your local trustee should be able to explain that and if they can't then that's an issue of, of lack of maturity regarding the role of the school board in terms of these local negotiations
0: Uh, Lots are uh, upset about the cost of this latest round of negotiations. What was supposed to have helped has seemed to have dragged on longer than normal, and now we have people uh, such as unions that are saying, hey, this has cost us too much, and now the government is paying them money to pay for all of this. Uh, Is this a more costly system to operate?
1: No, I think in the transition, uh, look, there was, and again, this I think was, Uh, on on behalf of uh, of the Minister of Education, not the current one, the previous one, when the issue of of the money that went to the unions uh, to pay for this new model, uh, I think it's fair to say that it's okay for uh, when you're implementing a new model, it's okay for there to be some professional development, how best to use uh, some new resources to learn how to do the new model. The problem was uh, the minister uh, was very unclear about uh, what the money was for and how it was used. And parents um, and others, the population at large, uh, wasn't very happy about not understanding why that money was flowed and what it was for. In principle, there's no problem with uh, giving money in the short run, just a one-off, for the unions and local school boards to figure out how to implement the new model. Uh, but to this day, I don't know myself, and I'm a fairly active listener when it comes to education issues. Uh, what the money was for, uh, and how it was used, et cetera, and to what end. So I think that was a one-off. I don't think that's a permanent cost uh, once this thing is at a level of uh, the kind of maturity that I hope I uh, hope it uh, achieves.
0: But you're confident that uh, we should let this system uh, at least run its course for the next couple of years to see exactly what the pros and cons are?
1: Yes, but not without the kind of information that I think, uh, Scott, you suggest needs to be forthcoming. I mean, I I don't think we should just sit by. I think as issues regarding local bargaining arise, I think think parents and guardians and the public at large uh, have every right to know specifically what the issues are. And, and, and there's nothing so complicated uh, that can't be uh, put into uh, simple terms. And and so this notion that uh, uh, we should sit by and let it happen, no, I think part of the new model is that uh, going forward, parents and guardians need to know what specific collective bargaining issues are at stake. Uh, and I don't think we're always told uh, accurately uh, what they are, and we need to demand that. And I wouldn't let two years go by. I think that has to be part of what happens from now until uh, forever in terms of make a, a further decision about whether this is working.
0: When a parent is faced with a union on one side and pol- in, in, in a government or, po- or politics on the other, what are they to do? Who are they to believe? Which side? Because it seems that everyone's out for themselves except for the kids.
1: Well, my, I, I just mentioned my daughter. When she was in the uh, the 12th, when uh, uh, her last year of Of high school and there was when the teachers withdrew uh, all of their uh, support for extracurriculars uh, as you recall um, uh, my daughter actually uh, she led a walkout of all the students from her high school i mean i I couldn't Mm. i couldn't i couldn't believe it she one day she she uh, emailed she uh, called me up and she said dad you may want to drive by the school
2: and they, they were walking the
1: streets and here you know the the daughter of a former deputy minister has and they had they they took signs. they took sides with the teacher, the teachers right. uh, And uh, this wasn't approved by the principal, or whatever. Uh, my daughter just organized a walkout. She had monitors uh, in every classroom and at ten minutes to twelve. She also called up the police to have a police presence. Wow. And I asked her afterwards, why did you take signs with the teachers? And she said, because the government uh, hasn't given us, clear enough information about what their issues are and the teachers have. Mm. And, uh, she was quoted in the newspapers and saying that. And so I, I think, I think there is a time where, uh, parents and teachers, sorry, parents and guardians do have to take sides if they have enough information. Uh, and if they don't, I think the name of the game is to press each side for a greater clarity about why is this thing dragging on so long. And, um, you know, if you take uh, the carryover of sick days, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, most organizations in public and private places uh, have a policy that if you have if you have sick days, uh, you either use them within the year or you lose them. Mm-hmm. The sick days are to be used; they're not to be uh, they're not to be uh, they're not holidays a- a- added up mm-hmm. so that when you retire, you know you get a check for ninety two thousand dollars for unused sick days. Uh, so, uh, so you know that was an issue. And uh, parents need to, uh, and and parents may decide they agree with the union, but parents need to be informed. And uh, on occasion, should they take sides? Yeah, they should take sides uh, after they've been informed about both sides and their perspectives.
0: We've only got a couple of seconds left. So, any issues this year? Will this be a relatively calm year for students?
1: Yeah, I think generally in the province, uh, it's going to be labor strife free. And the most important thing is that. Uh, The relationship between uh, teachers and students, and students and teachers, is number one. And everybody else's job in the province, whether it's a principal, a minister, uh, or a a great uh, Hamilton-based talk show host, (laughs) our job is to to make sure we support that relationship.
0: Dr. Charles pascal has been with us, former, uh, former Deputy Minister of Education, currently Professor at Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. Doctor, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks so
1: much, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900-CHML.
0: Is homework a truly beneficial asset to a child's education? Some teachers in Alberta argue there, if there's no homework, that's not a problem. Proponents for homework argue that it gives parents a chance to talk to their kids about what's going on in school. Is the debate more of how much children should have or whether they should have it at all? There's an interesting article that came out of the Edmonton Journal. And this was, uh, it talks about a grade four teacher, Eric Armitage. Uh, Four years ago, the grade four teacher routinely sent home spelling lists, uh, math lists, practices, sheets nightly to get people to just redo and and, and kind of, uh, I guess, study what they had learned that day. Then a perfect storm stirred a change in his life. Just as he, became, he began hearing more about heavy homework loads, homework loads, overburdening kids and stripping them of time to play, he became a stepdad to a boy in grade one. A task that should have taken a very short time after we got home, just stressed out and stressed out the family, and started fighting at the dinner table about how we can get more out of him. It was just such a negative arena that we were playing in, said the teacher. He thought, if this is happening in my house, and it's only one kid, it's got to be happening in other places as well. So he is one of several Alberta teachers who say they can teach just as effectively and maybe better without loading down their pupils backpacks with exercises and insi- and assignments. However, proponents say homework gives the kids and parents a chance to talk about what's going on and children assigned homework also perform better on tests, according to some studies, although more homework, they say, is not always better. An ongoing debate to talk more about all of this, we bring in Annie Kidder. She is the Executive Director of People for Education. She's with us now. Annie, good afternoon, how are you today?
3: I am very well, thank
0: you. Hope you had a restful summer.
3: Uh, Some of it definitely was. Four (laughs) weeks of holiday was very, very good.
0: Beautiful. Good for you. So the homework issue, nothing new. How do you balance this?
3: Well, balance is the right word here, too. I think it's important, first of all, that we look at the evidence and we not just go with whatever our instincts are and go, actually, people have been doing research about this for many, 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 many years. And overwhelmingly, the evidence is that in elementary school, in those first early grades, um, there, there is little or no impact of homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're talking about kids that grade, you know, one, two, three, four. Uh, but actually, when you know, sort of meta analyses of many different studies have shown that in terms of kids' grades, it doesn't make any difference. Um, and that there may be a downside to it. Exactly the the arguments the the teacher talked about, the kind of tension at home. There's lots and lots of evidence that uh, reading to your kids um, has a huge impact. But again, that's reading to them, not getting them to, you know, sound out the words, not being the teacher at home. The evidence about homework later on, though, in high school in particular, is that it does make a difference because it gets kids to... Take the the, the information and the the, the knowledge that they're acquiring at school and use it in, you know, deeper, kind of um, more comprehensive ways. So that makes a difference in terms of long term learning. The other piece in this has to do with all that tension around homework. I always wanted to, in our office, write a tip sheet called How to Help Your Children with Their Homework Without Killing Them, but nobody would let me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would would read that, Annie. I know,
3: except it's not your homework. So the other, we did a big analysis of all the research about how parents can make a difference with their kids, and interestingly, helping homework was not up there high in the list. Um, So I think that we may have gotten a bit confused as parents about how much we have to be in there either nagging or doing the homework or help helping, in quotation marks, with the homework. And, in fact, you know, what's important, it's really important that you help your kids learn good work habits, but they learn that actually by understanding it's their homework, not your homework, and maybe even by getting in trouble for not doing it. Um, but I think that parents are are kind of over-involved in kids' homework, and, again, there's no evidence that that helps either.
0: So, uh, what about the the whole idea of getting them into the routine of reviewing? So maybe that's why you would do it in elementary school as opposed to waiting to high school. That if they get used to, you know, they're spending fifteen minutes or ten minutes or twenty minutes or whatever it is, depending on the age, of just reviewing what they've done that day. Or do they is 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 that worth it in order to get them into that habit?
3: Nope. Um, really. It- and no, no, I mean, the evidence isn't that it's worth it. There's other ways to get kids into habits. I mean, really, if you want to talk about what, you know, research says makes a difference, getting your kids to do chores gets them into good habits. So teaching your kids to feel responsible mm. is incredibly important. But just reviewing what you did at school, in fact, there's really no evidence that that makes a difference. So and saying, well, someday you're going to have to do homework, so you better start learning to do it now, yeah. that's actually not the thing that helps you learn to do homework. But it does, on the other hand, help you learn to be a human being in the world, which is an important part of homework and everything else, um, to have a sense of... You know, keeping on working at things, even if they're hard and boring, like, say, you know, whatever, doing the dishes, mm-hmm. um, to to go and ask for help when you're struggling. That's a very important, these are, these evidence shows are an incredibly important kind of life skills that parents should be instilling in their children. Um, and wow, you, know, you bring you,
0: up, you bring up a valid point, uh, Annie, and you said developing life skills. Yep. And then in the, in, in turn, the life skills will help them with the homework. That exactly. will look after the re-
3: Yeah, and that you know, so so that I think that when we did our big study of parent involvement, a principal read it and said, "Oh, this is so interesting. You're really saying there should be less parenting at school and less teaching at home." And it's like, yeah, because really, what the studies were all about was was much more about being a parent. Than it was about how to teach your kid whatever their times tables. Mm-hmm. So it was very very important to have high expectations and say I expect you to work hard. I care about school. I expect you to try, uh, you know, to get as good marks as you can. That's vital, um, and it's really important to st- instill those work habits. And then, but part of that is. In in our family, we have some structure, we have some routine. I, I demonstrate to you what it's like to be responsible. So and reading to your kids. So it's it's that those skills last forever, and they're not just about homework. They're about everything. And hopefully, by the time they get into high school and or post-secondary, you've actually instilled in them that, oh, I'm the person who has to take care of this, and I know how to keep on working even when I don't really feel like it anymore.
0: So basically what you're doing is you're teaching responsibility, you're teaching structure that they can use in any environment, whether it's in school, sports, what have you.
3: Exactly, and that because what, you know, your job as a parent is that you're supposed to... Hopefully, <laughs> you're bringing up people who are going to end up being, you know, happy, healthy, responsible adults uh, with jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that my children are older, I <laughs> really care about that part. Um, but that, but that, then so then, kind of carrying them through school isn't going to help you that much. Now, the interesting part in this is that it is totally true that you know when if you surveyed parents, probably half would say there should be more homework, and half would say there should be less. Um, so there's no, there's not agreement, I don't think, among the parent community, but among researchers, there there's a lot of agreement that especially early on, it doesn't make a difference. And just the reviewing or continuing with what you're doing in class, that's not helpful homework. Hmm. The homework that's helpful is take everything you've learned and now look at it in a different way or, you know, writing essays as you get older or doing projects.
0: So or, why not teach that younger? Why wait till high school to teach that skill? To
3: teach... Well, because you because it's because actually when you're younger, when you're in grade two, you know, your capacity yeah, you're smart to enough, yeah. you know, do a research project is I don't know about the kids yeah. you know in grade two, but certainly when my children were in grade two that wouldn't have been a, yeah. you know, one of their yeah. strong suits. And it's also important that kids it is important that they play, they have free time, they yeah. use their imagination, you know, and, and it's you know, and definitely as you get older you have to take on more and more responsibilities. But you you wanna you want to keep the joy in learning for one thing and and again there's just no evidence that that that's the thing that helps you know Hmm. starting younger and younger so
0: how do we find the balance how do teachers find the balance
3: well it's hard because there is the world outside of education which has its has a lot of opinions about how it should work um so i'm sure there are teachers who say i don't assign homework and parents complain because they want to see what their kid's learning at school and they feel like homework is a sign that they're learning something. Uh, Other teachers do assign homework and parents complain that it's too much. Um, So I think, you know, maybe underneath all this is how important it is to communicate uh, with parents about what you're doing. This is why I'm doing this. This is why there's no homework in my class because kids are only in grade two. This is really the thing you could be doing at home that makes a difference. Um, And so that that communication actually would help probably Mm. in terms of, you know, helping to find that balance.
0: Is homework being used in place of parenting? Don't want them on the devices, so get them doing homework.
3: Well, I don't, I don't know, but I think that maybe for for sometimes for parents, it's the thing you can understand that your kid is supposed to be doing. So yeah. maybe we, maybe you know, in, instead of figuring out other things, it's like, don't you have homework? Um, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think that I. I think it's more that we it's become it's a kind of habit. It's like you go to school and then there's homework. Except I there's there there's I think this is based on no science. I feel as if there is more likely to be homework now, younger, than there used to be. Mm. So that, you know, the assumption that kids in grade two will have homework... that didn't there didn't used to be homework that young, yeah. and that's where you know it is really important. We go that we go. There's evidence actually that this doesn't help, so maybe we should really try and can the homework.
0: That and young. what is the magical age? Is it grade nine? Is I, it going into grade not, nine where know, it changes? It's so funny
3: because I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, and I couldn't remember if it was the birthday party rule, which is you get to invite as many people as your age, or if, that, if there was a homework rule about it's like ten minutes per grade. Yeah. I feel like there's something in there, so the, I don't think. There is a magic number, but certainly it's overlooked with the research about not primary school, like not up to grade three, four, that everybody's really in agreement about no, uh, you know, it doesn't help. Um, and then after that, there's a lot more division about about when there should or could be homework.
0: Annie Kidder has been with us, Executive Director People for Education, talking about homework, when it should start, and the benefits of it. Annie, as always, thanks for the time and your expertise. Great. Much appreciated. Thanks a lot, Scott. Thank okay, you. Bye-bye. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. A photo surfaced on Facebook a couple of months ago showing a group of Markham District High School teachers celebrating after an axe-throwing match, says the article. As is common, if not customary among those who toss axes at targets for recreation, the teachers from Markham District High School posed together following the contest, smiled for the camera collectively, and flipped the bird. When the student posted the uh, teacher's saucy uh, memento, there followed a storm of parental outrage and bureaucratic damage control. Uh, Freedom of Information Act by The Sun uh, had the board quickly reacting by first trying to blame the student who posted the photo and offering suggestions about what he should say to reporters. Boy, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I mean they're not at school they're out socializing what's wrong with a pile of people who are posing for a photograph and i don't know if it's customary after axe throwing to give the bird or what but because these are teachers are we holding them to a higher standard i mean what if this was a group of you know mixed league baseball players out playing and after you know a few beers had the same photo it. We, we've heard lots about posting pictures we shouldn't be posting and having to explain them. But are we going too far with this? Uh, my, I, I would say yes. I'd say, you know, I have no problem with the teachers going out for a social activity and posing for a picture afterwards, even if they are flipping the bird. Some are even giving the thumbs up. Uh, to talk more about all of this, uh, Alyssa Freeman is with us, Principal, Alyssa PR Communications, and with us now. Hello, Alyssa. How are you today?
4: Well, how are you? What I'm a do- good story for the first day back. In
0: well, isn't it, though? <laughs> but is this not taking it too far? Like, I'm sticking up for the teachers on this one. I, I
4: understand. mean,
0: what do you think?
4: You know what? When I first saw this uh, this story, I was thinking, oh, you know what? This is This is taking things a little bit too far, just as you said, Scott. But you know, when you get more into it, here is the issue that I have. It was the board 's mismanagement and reaction of it that is making this the story less so than actually the picture
0: good point so
4: the picture is the picture is a picture. The mistake that they made was that if you 're going to post this in a publicly accessible facebook page then that's that 's the first mistake. The second mistake is is that. Uh, you know, once the board gets a hold of this, they tried some damage control. But I have to tell you, it may have been the worst damage control I had ever seen. Hmm. So what they tried to do was, you know, perhaps give things like, okay, can we make the students say this? Can we? Um, wow. <laughs> you know, can we try and cover this story up? Can
0: It's we, like the old story. So once you tell everything
4: what everything except the first rule. The first thing they should have done was, you know what? We apologize. We will be talking with the teachers. We will be uh, reviewing our uh, social media policy with Mm. them. Um, They should have cut it off at the knees. Instead, what they did is that they did undamaged control, and they, through some very untoward actions, actually helped fuel the fire of this story.
0: Uh, it's like the old thing. Once you tell a fib, then you got to tell another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then it just gets out of control.
4: Well, my mother used to say, if you want to be a good liar, you have to have a good memory.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I never lied because I could never remember what the hell I ever said. Another show. I know. I know. Let's move on. (laughs) Yeah, uh, me with the angel. uh, Me the angel. Uh, So, is this political? Here's a famous line. Is this Mm -hmm. political correctness gone too far?
4: In some cases. You know, on on the one thing is that here's a bunch of teachers, they had a very fun act-touring event, not your usual meeting at the pub and having a beer after work type of thing. And they were all probably having a great time, and they flipped the bird in the picture. So, you know, there's that. The other thing, too, is that this happened quite a while ago, and it's resurfacing now. So the fact that they didn't deal with it properly at the very beginning, that's what happens. These things tend to rear their ugly heads again and again unless you cut it off. So, you know, yeah, are they allowed to take a picture and flip the bird? Sure they are. Should they post it on a public Facebook site? No, they're teachers.
5: Hmm.
4: No, they should not. They should have a closed group. It's easy to do. All you do is you invite the people that are in the picture in order to, are um, uh, the, yeah. or the only ones able to access this Facebook page, and that's it. And that's it. You know, any time you do a picture, I remember there was um, – some picture a while ago i think it was miley cyrus and maybe it was one of the u.s swim team and i think they were going to an asian country for uh, a competition and then they all sort of made themselves have eyes that are similar to that of the asian culture well that picture went like wildfire and everybody had to apologize all over themselves and you tend to think well gee i'm not a celebrity why is this even happening to me why is this scrutiny happening to me as an ordinary citizen And the fact of the matter is, when you are in charge of other people's children for any period of time, and you work for an institution that parents and people trust uh, in order of the care and education of their kids, yeah, that holds you to a higher standard.
0: And, you know, everybody says it's not like the old days. Well, in the old days, they didn't have social media and Facebook, so this stuff would have never gotten around anyway.
4: No, I know. And you know what? That's sort of the frightening thing about this, is that people use this. I mean, I will say that the student who did this, I mean, you know, really, did you need to do this? What, what was your point in being able to do this? Oh, you can totally uh, see why
0: are, the student did it exactly well, for all it, of these you know, reasons. exactly.
4: So, you know, the fact of that matter is like, okay, well, you got your jollies out, out, out of this. So, But, you know, sometimes I really do have to look at people's motivation when they go out of their way to embarrass people.
0: Mm, good point. You
4: know, y- you can't even go anywhere in the city. You know, there's CCTV cameras everywhere. Yeah. If somebody wanted to get a picture of you, they could.
0: Would it be better to have the teachers posing, flipping the bird, or uh, a picture of them maybe having class pictures up on the targets? <laughs> <laughs>
5: you
4: want me
0: to what, that? What's the worst offense? <laughs> no, you don't I have to. I can't
4: imagine it would be a class picture, Scott. <laughs> I imagine it would be some particular student. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Or maybe a politician. Think, like, listen,
4: even when I post something now, I think, hmm, I'd, I I'd, I'd take five seconds. It's just five seconds, people. So, if you know, you also tend to think, okay, if I post this, is my clergy member going to be okay seeing this? Mm. Like, is my rabbi, would this be something I want to show my rabbi? Is this something I want to show my priest? Is this going show me, you know, and so when you think of people in that type of position, is this something that we would want our principal to see? So, you know, take five seconds, and if the answer is no to any of those questions, then don't do it. But people are so quick to get things out on social media and see that immediate reaction in the way of likes or thumbs up that they lose that filter. So it's, it's like, you know, when you get dressed in the morning, don't forget to insert your filter, the one that goes between, you know, your brain and your fingers if you're typing or your brain in your mouth.
0: <laughs> Alyssa freeman has been with us, Principal, Alyssa PR Communications. I'm
4: Alyssa- like today, Scott. Oh, my
0: goodness. As always, thank you for your expertise. Much appreciated. <laughs> my pleasure have a great day you're listening to the scott thompson show weekdays from noon to three on am 900 chml when kids well you know when i first noticed this uh well of course i have kids one going into grade four and one going into grade nine and and you see you hear the and see the commercials for back to school which i don't know i think they start in may now don't they Uh, Anyway, uh, they seem to start towards the end of the summer and it's, you know, the clothing, the school supplies and whatever. And now we're also hearing cell phone plan commercials. So, you know, keep uh, keep tabs on, on the chitlins through your cell phones and are offering plans just like back to school clothing or back to school supplies on cell phone technology for your kid. So it obviously raises the question, what age is a good age to allow your, ha- your child to own or not own? but certainly, because they ain't paying for it, you are. Uh, own a cell phone. Have a cell phone in their possession. Is it an issue of keeping tabs on your kids? You want to know where they all are all the time? Uh, the old days, it's be home by the, you know when the time the street lights come on. To talk more about all of this and, and weigh in on what is the perfect age to uh, phone up your kid, uh, Terry Plond is with us, Media Education Specialist, Media Smarts, and Canada Centre for Digital and Media Literacy, and is on the line with us now. Hi, Terry, how are you today? Hi, uh, good, thank you. Uh, explain to everybody what Media Smarts is all about.
2: Sure, well, we're a non-profit organization. We um, specifically exist to create Uh, lesson plans and tip sheets and research um, about how kids use uh, media in general. So it's traditional media uh, such as television and radio, all the way up to new media, uh, you know, the very latest social media. Uh, So we keep track of all that, find out what kids do, and then we create uh, resources to help adults in their lives.
0: So what are the stats on kids and cell phones? Who has them? What age do they start?
2: Um... The latest phase of our research was done in 2014. We surveyed more than 5,000 kids across Canada in every province and territory. At that time, um, about 60% of the kids we surveyed said that they had their own cell phone. Um, We started in grade 4. So in grade 4, that was about one in four um, child in grade 4 had their own cell phone. And once you got to grade 11... It was about 85% of the kids had their own cell phone. But I would assume that those numbers are a little bit higher right now.
0: Yeah, you you, you must think that even after a year or so, they've probably gone up again. Would you suspect that? Yes, I would suspect that. Uh, So what is the earliest that you are showing signs of kids having these?
2: Well, we we only started uh, tracking uh, media use at grade four because... Uh, originally, when we first started this research in 2001, um, that was about the age, you know, where kids were starting to use technology on their own, especially the Internet. Um, And we are going to have to uh, change um, the age range that we do research because other research around the world is showing that kids... Um, as early as two are starting to play with devices, obviously not cell phones, yeah. not to make calls, but certainly uh, uh, tablets and so on. Um, so I know from other research that children under two are playing with uh, Technology.
0: Do we have to divide uh, up this group between those that are actually using cell phones and those that are using some sort of device or some sort of, um, I guess it wouldn't be a game, but a device that could be used to play games? I mean, obviously, when you've got a two-year-old, and, and there's lots of two- and three-year-olds using technology now yeah. in some form, but not necessarily in the phone, the, the fo- uh, form of a basic phone that they can yeah. use to communicate uh, with their parents and such. Uh, do we have to separate between whether it's a device for this or a device for that?
2: Not really, depending on your concern. So, if your concern, for example, is screen time and how much time a child is spending in front of the screen, then it doesn't matter yeah. uh, what type of screen it is. What you need to uh, keep in mind is uh, what that time in front of a screen is replacing in terms of uh, time spent that would be potentially better for their cognitive or emotional development. But if you're looking at some of the features that are a little bit more unique to phones, um, for example, geolocation, um, which would theoretically allow somebody to track the physical position of a child, then yeah, at that point, then you do need to start looking at the phones specifically. But most of the issues we track anywhere from uh, privacy to excessive use to, um, to uh the, the setting, um, are more or less independent of uh, the device, because you have to remember as well that, and that's something that parents often forget, and you mentioned it, that some uh, of the newer uh, video game portable video game machines allow you to connect to the internet as well. So right. any questions that you have, concerns that you have that are related to the internet, then need to take into account those devices as well.
0: So how do you explain the use at a young age? Is it about just being connected and and we live in a technological world or is it about parents keeping track of their kids? Why do parents allow their kids or want their kids to have a a cell phone? And should we be saying cell phone phone or device? I mean, can you buy a basic phone anymore? Can you still get just a basic phone?
2: Yes. Yeah. You can still buy a basic phone and that's one of the pieces of advice we give to parents who um, are mostly concerned, let's say, about safety, where they want the child to have some way to make a call in case of an emergency. Well, then if they don't need to have access to the Internet in any way or have access to apps, uh, then in that case, it might be better to get what's called essentially a dumb phone instead of a smartphone.
0: (laughs) A dumb phone. Well, that'll market well with the kids, won't it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my! <laughs> yeah. So, do you, is that happening a lot, Terry? Do you do you see people that are just getting basic phones for kids, or is it ending up being a full blown device?
2: Oh, that's a good question. We we actually haven't checked ourselves what kind of device they have. We have basically just asked whether or not they had a cell phone, and that was meant to include uh, smartphones and and others. Um, I I would suspect that for the younger kids. That might be true, but for the older kids, most certainly not, since part of the appeal of having a a cell phone uh, when you're in high school is being able to communicate with your friends through uh, a whole bunch of different apps. Although, I suppose you could get away with just simple texting. Um, And again, that's uh, some of the advice that we have for parents who are concerned about children spending too much time with their devices too Potentially disable the texting uh, function of a phone um, if the phone is meant to be only in cases of emergency.
0: I can see too buying as what you called it a dumb phone for your kid. That would be like buying them the wrong type of clothing or the wrong. I mean, they just they would probably not rather not even
2: bring it out <laughs> than than use it, right? Especially for older kids, there's definitely you know for good or ill, there's definitely a peer. Um sitting in with your your peers uh factor to consider, and it 's definitely a question to ask yourself as a parent is and to have a discussion to have with your older children is um to what extent it might ostracize them from the rest of the you know the group of their peers if they you know if they they don't have such a device, and you may find out that it doesn't really, and that 's fine.
0: Uh, So how young is too young? Where do you draw the line? How do you balance all of this?
2: Well, in terms of cell phones, there really is no age limit. Obviously, they have to be able to physically operate it. Um, So you as a parent would know if your child is able to even dial a phone number on a cell phone or turn it on. Um, But in terms of... Whether or not it's it's a good idea, um, because of so many factors, it's it's really up to the parent to decide. Okay, my child is ready for a cell phone, or, or, or
0: like you said, with with peer pressure and such, are parents feeling pressure to provide their kid with such devices as part of the back to school plan?
2: I would uh, I would assume that many are, and it's it's probably uh, something very similar to the kind of. Um, repeated asking you get during uh, Christmas time as well, which uh, we call here the uh, the gimme season. And we do have a a tip sheet on that for parents on how to resist the gimme season.
0: So uh, what about the schools? How do they feel
2: about all of this? Well, so we also did a survey with teachers uh, across Canada last year and asked them specifically how they use technology in the classroom and how they feel about it. What was great there is that most teachers feel confident about using technology in the classroom. Uh, They feel that they know how to use it and how to use it in a way that supports education rather than teaching the technology itself. But they did say that um, out of those devices that are banned in the school, uh, cell phones are on top of that list. And yet, when they are permitted, um, teachers that told us that they do permit the cell phone in the classroom, those are the devices that the most are the most used, mm. and we do have a lot of examples of uh, very good and creative uses of cell phones and smartphones in particular. Um, I think of one with um, Twitter where a drama teacher. Uh, to help their uh, her kids learn Shakespeare, uh, had them essentially tweet as one of the characters mm. um, in a private kind of tweet channel, and um, as a way to discover uh, the, the characters. Or let's not forget that most smartphones now are pretty amazing uh, video cameras that allow you to do editing on the fly and so on. Yeah. So I know of a lot of teachers that have also used them to um, to do. Um, video projects and sometimes even citizen reporter projects that they wouldn't have been able to do uh, if you know they, they they if they had to wait for the school to have all the equipment needed to do this.
0: you bring up a valid point uh, about uh, the the school having the equipment. Uh, obviously, there's different levels of technology depending on what you can afford. How do you keep the playing field balanced when you're in a classroom? Because there may be some kids that their parents are going to spoil them with this phone and then others that that just don't have the money to buy something that's quite as extensive.
2: Yeah, that's a big concern for a lot of schools. Um, It's often called the digital divide uh, in terms of the poor students not having access to sometimes any technology or certainly not the kind of technology that the uh, older uh, children have access to. Um, There's also the issue of uh, how does the school manage, um, uh, theft or, or, mm. uh, you know, if, uh, or damage to, uh, private property? It's all part of a thing called, um, uh, BYOD, bring your own device, uh, at school. There's a lot of schools that have done this very successfully by having, uh, the students and teachers and the school itself write a set of, uh, rules and, um, a set of commitments that everybody would adhere to and everybody can bring uh, their device at that point. There's been some hybrid models where the school provides some devices but then asks students to bring their own and then they kind of make up the the divide, if you will, with a a few that they have in the school, Um, that's certainly a chance and it's still being explored by a lot of schools, but there's lots of good ideas out there.
0: You talked about you had some tips for parents who were uh, considering purchasing a phone for their kids. What kind of advice can you give parents?
2: Well, the first one to uh, think of is, indeed, what the uh, phone will be used for. So if it's, again, a device that's only meant to be for making phone calls in an emergency, well, then that will determine what kind of device uh, you're going to buy. Another thing to think of if you decide to buy a smartphone um, is whether or not that phone allows you to turn on or off um, a lot of the more problematic features. I spoke earlier of being able to turn off texting, for example, Um, but there's also um, the possibility of turning off geolocation, which might be very important, the possibility of turning off um, the camera in some cases, uh, or access to the Internet. So that would be another uh, piece of advice to to give, and also to create um, rules about the youth in and outside the home and have those conversations um, early and often. One of the things that surprised us a little bit uh, when we did our survey is that those kids that had rules at home, specifically about um, going on the internet, but in general with in their usage of technology, uh, kids that had you, uh, those rules had a tendency to um, will have less risky behavior with hmm. the technology. And that worked even for the older kids, even for the later teens. This
0: is completely changing school, isn't it?
2: Yes. Uh, it is changing the classroom because those devices are so powerful, um, either for good or ill, um, that they do require a whole new... Uh, set of knowledge Mm. um, and a whole new set of rules um, by everyone involved. As I mentioned with the BYOD uh, agreement, if you will, those that worked the best were the ones where everybody was involved, where the students and the school and the teachers were all involved together. Everybody had their own uh, commitments um, in terms of when and how technology was permitted in the school. Um, Mm. But I would have to say that most um, schools right now are still in the process of figuring this out, and there really isn't any kind of national uh, policy or national direction for for uh, so for for the use of technology in the classroom. So it's still we're still trying to um, figure it out. But yes, it's a big uh, it's a big game changer. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, it's easy enough for a school to just decide to not allow. Um, that technology in the classroom and to decide to do more uh, traditional teaching. And uh,
0: That being said, Terry, though, I mean, are we not missing an opportunity here if we do that? I, th- like, the one advantage to these devices is that kids yeah. are incredibly attracted to them. They're mesmerized. Exactly. They, you know, if, if you want to figure out what something does on your phone you hand it to your child they will figure it out in no time usually so are there are there opportunities like the teacher you just explained with the shakespeare and such i mean are are we missing opportunities are we taking full advantage of this this attraction that kids can be uh can bring into their learning i would like,
2: yes um Essentially, yes, Um, because what we have to remember is that the kids will be using those devices Mm -hmm. when they're not in school. So forbidding them in school uh, where you have this opportunity to teach them how to use them properly, but not just from a technical point of view, but from what we teach, which is a a media literacy and digital literacy point of view, how to think critically about uh, their use of the phone uh, or any kind of uh, Internet uh, device. Um, If... When we don't allow them in school and they're not getting the education, but yet they, they find themselves using the devices outside of school, might be creating a situation where uh, you know, we have a generation of um, you know, people who, who are missing critical thinking skills about the devices they use. and, and also, um, the reality is that uh, one way to actually, the main way to be to be an active uh, citizen in our society is becoming increasingly through the use of uh, network technologies hmm. and so there's an opportunity there as well to raise uh, especially the cyber citizens of the future um,
0: So do yeah. devices for kids encourage critical thinking or do they dumb it down
2: it's all in the quality of the Applications that are in the device um, parents and teachers definitely have a job um, of curating what 's actually on the device, but um, a lot of research has found as well that the educational um, value of any kind of interaction with media, uh, whether it 's a digital or traditional um, is greatly increased when a parent or a teacher is present and is there to either or consume the media with them and is there to contextualize and explain things as they are uh, happening. Um, so I would say that that's an important feature of, um, of the educational value of those devices.
0: Some parents, are, some parents are saying kids should just be kids. Are we naive to think that because the kids nowadays who are on devices, that's the kids of
2: today? Well, given the power of those devices, um, you can certainly say kids should just be kids. Yes, as long as you've definitely uh, done your job as a parent, as a teacher, and made sure that that device um, is set up in a way that will uh, at least, at the very least, minimize any of the risks of uh, constant connection to the Internet, whether that be access to inappropriate content or... uh, being able to um, use your device in ways that, you know, either violates somebody else's privacy. So there's a lot. Yes, you can absolutely let kids enjoy and play with technology, and they will do so naturally. But it'd be similar to just saying to a child, well, you know, here are the car keys and uh, just Hmm. go drive around without having learned the rules of the road.
0: Terry Plant has been with us, media education specialist, Media Smarts, Canada's Center for Digital and Media Literacy. Terry, thanks very much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Oh, thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on
5: AM 900
0: CHML.